You are listening to excerpts of Walking in America, a novel by Oliver Jones. I sit down in a chair facing the therapist. He introduces himself as Malik and explains to me that court-ordered treatment, the kind we are starting today, allows people like myself who are convicted of nonviolent crimes to receive treatment for substance abuse or mental health disorders. This treatment can postpone and perhaps dismiss any jail time as long as I keep showing up. We chat for a while, and then he asks if I remember how I ended up in the hospital. I think for a few moments and then say, no, not exactly. But I read the police report and the ER doc filled me in on most everything else. He asks if I understand that I've got to show up here in order to avoid jail. It wasn't a question, it was more of a statement. He continues and says, it's fairly evident you were experiencing some type of mental health crisis when you were arrested. Does that sound accurate to you? I nod again. I'm embarrassed that I'm here and weary of always screwing up. I can't believe that this is my life now. We chat for a few minutes longer until he finally asks, so what happened? I step underneath the brilliant blanket of the Milky Way, a display so bright it doesn't look real. I feel as though I could sip from the Big Dipper or kiss Orion on his shimmering lips. Mania courses through me, flows through me, glows through me, goes through me, as the nighttime skyscape dazzles above me, in love with me, shoving my already heightened senses to an as-of-yet-unmet apex. I shimmer along with the universe. I am star matter vibrating with the energy of particles orbiting shells around the nucleus of my brain. I can hear the snipping of the threads tethering me to reality. They fall one by one to the ground because Mania is a jealous companion. She prefers me isolated and alone where her magic can leech into me, reach into me, beseeching me, stringing me up like a fanciful marionette, dancing about the stage for all to see. My arms, my legs, my torso gyrating on invisible strings, making me dance through the night like the hard metal ball in a pinball machine pinging, flinging, winging through the ether. I bid farewell to the trappings of being too tied down to one place. I throw random possessions into bags and do what I always do, walk away. The open road is a palate, and this tastes tangy and sharp. My mania thrives beneath the frigid nighttime sky where the ideas pulse through to me, true to me, brew in me, and I can fully embrace my madness. 
a dwelling becomes too constrictive. People around me exist as obstacles to my invention, walls to my ascension into a new dimension. Routine smothers the creative fancies of my mind, and I must break free. Responsibilities become the albatross around my neck. So I grab the beast that pushed me down and I choke it with my raw knuckles and calloused hands. I hear the gunshots, too many gunshots. Each bullet pierces my sanity and the spying. No more spies in the wires. He can't find me if I'm not connected to the grid. So I release myself to the world like a tongue unraveling from a mouth wet with intention, seeking the flavors of the street. I walk through small towns at 4.30 a.m. like jewels from Pulp Fiction who desires to walk the earth. The skeletons come out to prance, telling me their tales to ears that know to listen. My ears, I hear what the streets are talking about as they act out the desires of those sleeping through their prime. The dark streets, vacant storefronts, and silent neighborhoods are resting before waking, and I realize the world void of humans is sublime. The libretto of an unnamed opera begins to take form in my head. The characters for which are the planets in the dark sky speaking to one another about the ancient origin of life. My footsteps don't carry me from town to town. They move me in syncopation to the celestial rhythm in my mind. My toenails are bloody and my ankles are blistered, but these pains only imbue my passion to move forward, always forward, never looking back to the monsters that crawl through the sinews of my mind. Monsters put there by the hands of those that sought too much from a young boy who looked at the world with moist eyes, but those eyes were forced closed so as not to see the hands tying ropes, the fingers put inside me, the fish hooks that pulled at my skin, the gun barrels put into my mouth so I could taste the metal as it clinked against my teeth. And when I tried to express what was happening to me, I was told I was rude, I was silly, I was wrong, I was lying, lying through my teeth, the teeth that bite down on gun barrels, that clench shut when locked in the bedroom closet where he found purchase in my flesh, in my flesh, in my flesh. It's how even now, walking beneath the stars in the safety of anonymity among the empty streets and unlitted garbage cans, that he can find me. The cursor blinks on my screen. It blinks on my screen. It blinks on my screen. It unleashes in me an energy that saturates every cell of my body, knowing I cannot fight what is about to happen, about what is happening, about what will happen. My five-year-old vocabulary is unable to articulate that he's tying me up and doing things that I know are wrong, things that hurt, things that make me float outside the pain because my body cannot disappear. So my mind turns a blind eye in the darkness. The feeble words emanating from my tiny mouth don't translate into what parents can understand as evil, as invasive, as traumatic, as in the things that are happening when you are in the next room playing pinochle and I'm in the closet bound and petrified. And according to those who should be reaching for my hand to pull me up out of the darkness, I should behave to be nice, to not make a fuss. Time and time again, it happens and happens. And then the cursor blinks 
and I'm launched once again at night into the night in the peaceful calm of the darkness and solitude, away from fishhooks and locked closets and cigarette lighters and the gun barrels. It's the thing that I do. I disappear because for so long I was never able to disappear. And now when the cursor blinks or the gunshots ring or the waters rise above my ears, I disappear. My heartache elicits the staccato pulse of a cosmic metronome. I am of the universe, and I can hide in the universe amid the dark matter and the hydrogen and the gravity wells where I soar unnoticed, free, because I am now able to disappear. And that's the thing that I do. It's how I wake up in different cities or on trains heading out of town or on lonesome highways with bloodied socks, frostbitten cheekbones and the shards of a broken life crammed into dis disorganized bags. I disappear without knowing because I could never do that as a kid, as a kid, as a kid. The cursor blinks and my mind beckons me to flee because as a kid, I could never flee, but now I can. Now I disappear, and that's the thing that I do. My eyes blink open and are stung by the bright overhead fluorescent lights. What the hell? Where am I? I move my hand to feel the pain radiating from my head, only to discover my arm held by my side in a restraint. I raise my other arm. It catches as well. The weight of my circumstance descends upon me. My clothes are gone, and I'm in a hospital gown, which means at some point I was naked and someone handled my body. I wonder who they were and what they thought of the madman lying nude before them. I don't know where my glasses are, so looking through squinted eyes, I recognize the particulars of an ER hospital room. I'm strapped down, which means at some point I was considered a threat. I know Craig was probably there. He usually is. I remember cursing at the police. I remember a struggle. I remember being tackled and tasting blood in my mouth. When will life change? When will I stop losing chunks of time? When will this all be over? I've been here so many times and asked myself these questions time and time again. Eventually, something emerges from the fog of my mind like the trailer I was living in with that obese redneck woman and the tiny cursor that popped up on my laptop screen, which in my manic state of paranoia means Craig found me again. He always finds me. My mind jumps to a cabin or maybe a, a deer blind. I'm, I'm not sure. Did I sleep there? A nurse enters the room, standing with one arm on her hip. Her hair is pulled back into a ponytail. 
Her eyes are dark brown with crow's feet and dark circles indicating too many hours doing this very thing. Can I take these restraints off you? Or do you think you might be a problem? Her name tag reads, Rita. I won't be a problem, I say softly. She asked me some quick neurological questions such as what month it is, what year it is, who the president is, and what city I'm in. I answer the first three questions okay, but when it comes to what city I'm in, well, I think back to the dilapidated trailer and that woman I'd been living with that was in a town called Ingadine. I remember the cursor on my screen blinking at me until I could feel Craig's eyes on me. I remember the feeling of water rising above my ears. That always happens before I check out. And then just walking off into the night. I can't remember where I walked to, so I'm not sure what city I'm in. She says, you're in Marquette, Michigan, in the ER. Do you have any recollection of how you got here? I think for a moment and tell her that I remember an ambulance, but not where I was or, or where it took me. Well, hopefully that will come back to you as you rehydrate and keep warm. She sets about undoing my restraints. She does my legs first, and my only motion is to cross my legs at the ankle. When she moves up to my arms, I can see her face clearly for the first time. She's seen a lot of this. When she looks at me, she's not really seeing me. She's evaluating if I'll get out of hand. I could react violently like I'm sure so many soft-spoken people in this position have done before. To be honest, I'm surprised she doesn't have security with her. When she unstraps my arms, I notice red bands across my wrists, answering the question of whether or not I had been handcuffed. I fold my hands over my belly. Are you thirsty? She asks, already reaching for the bed tray with a water pitcher. Yes, I'm, I'm very thirsty. My words are still a bit soggy from the sedative. She moves the portable tray table over my midsection as her watchful eyes monitor my every move. Just take sips at first, she said. You're still coming down off the hell doll and you don't want to upset your stomach. Your systolic number is higher than it should be, but I think you're out of danger. You had some pretty bad numbers when you came in. Your blood sugar was just over 500. Not knowing what to say, I just thank her for taking care of me. She steps back after putting the blood pressure cuff away. She has one hand on her hip. My guess is she stands that way a lot. I hope you get better, Joe. I <laughs> laugh a little. Me too, I say. She turns without another word and leaves the room.
So here I am, again, alone in my ER bay. I try as best as I can to piece together what brought me here. I remember hours and hours of walking. I was walking along the shoulder of M28, a small highway lacing its way across the upper peninsula of Michigan. And then I remember the cars passing by on the two-lane highway every few minutes. I remember a honk behind me, a car slowing down to the point where I assume the driver means to extend an offer of a ride. The car pulls ahead of me and off to the shoulder. I approach the passenger window to assess the situation. A moment occurs between when I realize what is transpiring and the actual moment it does. It's truly vile. I stand there, barely unable to process what just happened. My astonishment boils over to anger as I come to terms with the disgusting reality that a person who I thought was offering a ride has just thrown a big gulp-sized cup of urine on me. It enters my mouth, soaks into my wool hat, drips off my backpack, and makes designs in the snow at my feet. I spit and gag as the laughter emanates from a vehicle speeding away. Why? This is the quintessential question of being homeless. What are homeless people supposed to do when having to react to dark-hearted people who see you as an easy target? The answer to why they do such things? Because they can. I'm a part of the kindred world of the unwashed. I have no money for lawyers when I get assaulted. I barely have enough money to eat. My tribe is nomadic and unseen. And for the most part, when we are seen, we elicit strange reactions in people. If we are sleeping at night and are discovered by a group of kids, we get beaten. If we have our cups out for alms, we get spat on. If we try to order food, we get refused service. And if we try and hitchhike along a county highway, we get piss thrown on us. This is the reality for so many of us who are homeless. As the urine starts to crystallize in the freezing temperature, I'm thankful I scotch guarded my coat and the majority of the urine falls away without seeping into my external layers of clothing. My hat is soaked so I toss it to the side and proceed with my bald head covered with just the hood of my sweatshirt. The hours tick by and my fears are realized. It's now getting dark and I don't have any place to shelter for the night. The only answer that presents itself is a small cabin I find in the woods about a hundred feet off the highway. It looks abandoned. I walk around it. It can't be much bigger than 12 by 20 square feet. 
The door to it is slightly open, but it's stuck nonetheless. I pull harder, and finally the door gives way. It's pitch black inside. But what I can see, it looks like just one large room with one wall donning rudimentary kitchen items and a toilet in the corner. The floor is a bit soft. I crouch down and feel it after taking my gloves off. It feels like carpet. I drop my duffel bag and backpacks and my shoulders ring out in pain. About the only thing I could think of doing is to rip up the carpet and roll it around me for some protection from the freezing temperature. Thankfully, the carpet pulls up fairly easily. And now, after mania has led me once again into homelessness and desperation, I lay my body down for the first time in five days. Home sweet home. Nine two zero seven. Nine two zero seven. The walls seem to erupt around me as I'm shocked back into wakefulness from my first sleep in five days to the shouts of sheriff deputies and the squawk of police cars. I'm disoriented by the powerful light shining in my eyes and I'm unable to remember where I am at or how it is I came to be in this, what the hell is it, a shack? My whole body is nearly paralyzed with pain from walking all those days and the police take how slowly I'm getting to my feet as a sign that I'm resisting arrest. They yank my body upward as my muscles cry out in pain, and as the blisters on my feet that have dried into my socks rips fresh skin from my feet, I scream out in pain which they take as an attack. A bright light emanates from somewhere in the back of my head as the metal baton strikes. And then, darkness. Anyway, that's how I ended up in the hospital. <laughs>